you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Well, we've made it to the last episode of our Season 9, All Things Culture, Biblical Counseling Today podcasts. So we've talked about a lot of cultures that we have to deal with in our Christian homes. So I want you to think about your home for a moment. And if your home, if your family has its own culture, then how would you think of your culture when it comes to the topic of material possessions? Well, I grew up in what was considered a middle-class family in the 1970s and 80s. We never thought of ourselves as wealthy, but we certainly had a lot of stuff. I was the first kid on my block to get an Atari home video gaming system in the late 1970s. Some of you may remember those. That made me feel pretty wealthy. Then my personal goal became to buy as many video game cartridges as possible, keeping up with my peers and their gaming systems. But alas, I fell back in the rankings when my best friend not only got the next best video game system, but at 16, he got his own car. And it was a new red Trans Am. I couldn't compete. So if my memory serves me well, I remember telling my dad soon after that that my biggest goal in life was to become a millionaire by the age of 26. I don't know why I chose 26, but it seemed like a reasonable goal at the time. I wanted to be able to give my child a car at age 16. I actually wanted to give my children a whole bunch of stuff so they would never feel poor in any way. Now, I have no recollection of what my poor father said to me. As a fine Christian man, he probably felt like a failure as a dad for what kind of teen I had become. Quite possibly, he may have just given me grace in my foolishness, knowing that God would deal with that greedy little heart of mine in time, a discontented heart that longed for the things of this world rather than the things of God. I was certainly a young man who had the idol of comfort, the idol of security, the idol of never wanting to suffer in any way. I had been greatly impacted by the culture of materialism, a culture that has always been around and is a very powerful tool of Satan. Children are especially vulnerable to materialism, even if their parents don't feed it, as we though often do. But it is certainly not just children and teenagers who are vulnerable to absorb the culture of materialism. And it isn't just pagans who have nothing else but this material world to rely on. Even we as Christian adults can be greatly impacted. So again, in this last episode of All Things Culture, let's dig down deep and think biblically about a culture that is driven by materialism. Here are six fun facts to give us some perspective on our culture of materialism. Number one, the average American home has 300,000 items in it. Number two, 23% of adults pay late fees on bills because they lose them. Number three, 
One out of four houses in America with two-car garages keep so much stuff in it, they can't even fit a car in that garage. Number four, on average, every American throws away over 68 pounds of clothing per year. Number five, Americans spend about $1.2 trillion a year on non-essential items. Yes, that's trillion. And number six, the average American woman has 103 items of clothing in her wardrobe, but she considers 21% to be unwearable, 33% too tight, and 24% too loose. A further 12% of the wardrobe is occupied by new, unworn clothing. And then couple those statistics with this one. For the first time in nearly two decades, only half of U.S. households donated to a charity. The findings confirm a trend worrying experts. Donations to charitable causes are reaching record highs, but the giving is done by a smaller and smaller slice of the total American population. Now, I'm just going to leave those statistics without comment. They are just sad. Sorry, that was a comment. But we all know that the culture of materialism dominates our lives. Money and possessions play much too powerful a role, even for Christians. What can we really do about it, though? It's just how the world works. Where would we even start to confront this cultural sin? Well, I would hang up my biblical counseling hat if I didn't believe people could change, that there are things that can be done to push back on the materialistic culture. We need change in this area of our life for ourselves as well as for the next generation. What are our children seeing when it comes to our materialistic tendencies? Okay, before I get too far, let's make some clear definitions and also apply some very clear scriptural principles. Now, at the forefront, I want to make sure you understand that I'm not talking about philosophical materialism, the belief that matter is the fundamental substance in nature, that everything is only matter. No, this culture of materialism is a culture of economic materialism, the attitude and behaviors which attach the highest of value to the acquisition of possessions. Or to put it even better, Materialism is a value system that is preoccupied with possessions and the social image they project. Now, according to one theorist, materialism is driven by three character traits, non-generosity, envy, and possessiveness. Well, we'll come back to those character traits in a bit, but now let's lay out the scripture, and there's plenty of it. Up front, we must ask ourselves, why is God's word so filled with truth about our money and possessions? Think about that as I read these verses. 1 Timothy 6, 7 and 8. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Ecclesiastes 5:10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Matthew six nineteen and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then Mark eight thirty six. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and forfeit his soul. Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Ecclesiastes 5.15 As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Matthew 6.21 for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then just one more scripture passage, the parable of the rich fool found in Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. It reads, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, if you think about it, the rich fool was the ultimate materialist in so many ways. First, when his land produced abundantly, he only thought how he could hoard his wealth. Second, he only thought of building bigger and better. He never thought of how much he could now give away to others. Third, his wealth led him to early retirement, much sooner than it probably should have been. Number four, instead of retiring early to serve others, he only thought of self, relaxing, eating, drinking, and partying. And then fifth, all this materialism led to God calling him a fool. He laid treasure up for himself instead of being rich towards God. But did you catch that Jesus began this parable with his definition of materialism? Again, he said, Be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The culture of materialism screams out against Jesus. No, Jesus, life does consist in the abundance of my possessions. That's all that life is about. So there you have it. Totally contrasting worldviews that answer the question, what is life all about? Either it's all about God and his kingdom, or it's all about ourselves and our own little kingdoms. This answers my opening question of why the Bible is so filled with so much truth about money, wealth, possessions, and materialism. Because it's totally antithetical to true godliness, true kingdom living. 
So how in the world can Christians also be materialists? Well, I'm going to split the rest of this episode into two parts, answering two questions. First, why is it so tempting to embrace the culture of materialism? And then second, how do we take practical steps to resist the culture of materialism? So first, why is it so tempting to embrace the culture of materialism? Maybe this is an obvious question, but we need to explore this to help ourselves and the people we counsel as well. Well, I think the first reason is because we live in a time of abundance. I'll be honest, sometimes I think it must have been easier to obey God's commands about wealth and money and possessions during Bible times. I mean, they didn't have shopping malls or Amazon or iPhones or constant advertising shoved in their faces. People in the first church had a couple of changes of clothes, a small little house, if any, had to walk everywhere in the same pair of sandals for years and years and years. How could they become materialists when there weren't many possessions to be had? I know we have always had wealth and rich people all throughout history, just like in this parable. Job was quite the wealthy man, too, and somehow he wasn't a materialist. But it just seems so much harder in America in the 21st century. And that is because we do have lots of abundance. We have been supremely blessed compared to so many other parts of our world. Of course, sadly, there are large pockets of poverty everywhere as well. And you don't have to be rich to be a materialist either. But again, we have a God who has showered us with good things. So as sinners, we can abuse this goodness and only want more and more and more and more. But we must also recognize that we are bombarded by the culture of materialism from the earliest of ages. Whether it's from TV commercials or on social media, in virtual stores or real stores, so many choices, so much stuff, and new stuff all the time. This is the time in which we live. We are far from the centuries where you produced your own goods. We are consumers who have plenty to consume. And the second reason, because we are encouraged to always want more and better. Now that is putting it lightly. We could even use the language that we're pressured to always want more and better. The culture of materialism pronounces less as depressing and sad, and old as, well, just old and outdated. More and better makes us feel better, right? Makes us happy. Actually, a series of studies published in the Journal of Motivation and Emotion shows that as people become more materialistic, their well-being, their sense of purpose and happiness actually diminishes. As they become less materialistic, a sense of well-being rises. Well, I would say it makes us happy at first to get more and better stuff, but as that becomes our main pursuit in life, we do actually get unhappier. And that's what keeps us pursuing more and better, right? We need to get happy again. Our sinful hearts are idle factories, and the pursuit of more and better and more and better becomes idolatrous and leads to more idols as well. Well, the third reason, because we can believe possessions are life-giving. If Jesus had to tell people that life is not about the abundance of possessions, 
we must be tempted to believe quite the opposite. For example, it is tempting to believe you can't really begin living until you can stop worrying about money, which means you have to have a lot of it. Or that you start living only when you retire, when you no longer have to work so hard. So we're led to believe we must work and work and work until we can collect enough possessions to have long-time security and long-time enjoyment. Then we stop working for good. Just like the rich fool, when we achieve abundance, then we can live. Or we can come to believe that we will only have life by having several vacations every year. The more, the better. Those are life-giving and happiness-giving. Well, you get the lie, right? Life can feel so much better when you have it all, when you don't have to wonder where your next meal is coming from, when you can have your heart's desires. The health-wealth gospel popularized this lie in Christian circles. Life comes from abundance. Televangelists refer to it as the abundant life, a warped combination of Christianity and materialism. And then a fourth reason because we can be successful and hard workers. As Christians, we rightly believe we should work hard for the glory of God. The concept of a work ethic was very Protestant indeed. God has given us gifts, skills, and abilities that we must use to work. From the very beginning, we were commanded to work hard, to be a steward of creation, to produce, to grow, to develop. And then God has given us amazing minds to invent, create, to produce new and better technologies. What does all this hard work and success bring us? Wealth, goods, possessions, material things. When we have generations of hard workers and success, it breeds a culture of better education, better jobs, more wealth. Well, all this is obvious, right? But the problem is that we are tempted to believe we should keep all that we earn, that success should mean tearing down our small barns and building bigger ones. So we need that bigger house, those better cars, more creature comforts. Where most of us were once satisfied with one TV screen in our homes, now we have more screens than we know what to do with. And when you are brought up in a capitalistic culture as well, it just isn't in our DNA to share too much with other people. And then the fifth reason we give in to a materialistic culture is because we crave security and comfort. The lack of possessions makes us feel very uncomfortable and insecure. We are material people who want to hold on to things in order to be secure. We like having good-sized saving accounts so we can be prepared for the next crisis to come. We want to buy better things so they don't break down so much and so often. I remember my grandmother who grew up in poverty but then came into wealth as an adult. She would make sure to have what she called backups to everything. Not just one can of Pine Sol, but three cans behind it. Her house was like a grocery store with plenty of stock so she would never run out. I know some of you are thinking, well, that's just smart. That's just good preparation. That's just wise and being a good steward. Well, certainly I can see that. But if it comes from a heart that simply craves to feel secure, that's where it can turn into materialism. And no, I'm not calling my late grandmother a materialist. Just a possible one. 
But again, the truth is we can all want to be safe and secure. But we live in a fallen world where total security isn't possible. Our possessions will let us down in the end. And then a sixth reason, because we are envious and covetous. These are sins that even Christians struggle with. Do you think of yourself as envious of others? Or do you covet what they have? Or instead, do you believe you are content with what God has given you? When you go into another person's home for the first time, what thoughts enter your mind? Are you happy to see their success, or are you looking at all that you would love to have as well? While children tend to be wide open about their envy, we know that this is to be disciplined and corrected. Maturity moves us out of constant envy and jealousy. Envy is a real sin that we must fight. So is discontentment. A material culture just tells us to give in to those feelings and those idols and those sins. Actually, the culture of materialism says that materialism is the solution to envy. After all, we won't be envious or covetous of someone if we have more, right? We don't simply want to keep up with the Joneses. We want to be better than the Joneses. And then the seventh reason, because we really aren't that generous. It is impossible to be materialistic and generous at the same time. By definition, a materialist uses his money and wealth to accumulate possessions, not to give them away. Because he was a materialist, it didn't even dawn on the rich fool to give away some or most or even all of his abundance to other people. He could have left his old barn standing, loaded up his trucks, and gone to all his neighbors with the gift of grain. But no, that didn't cross his mind. In the parable, other people didn't factor in at all. And so because we don't give well, because we are selfish, it feeds our materialistic tendencies. Instead of giving, we hoard. Or we just give a little bit out of our abundance and continue in our materialistic ways. We hear sermons on giving and how to be sacrificial in our giving all the time. But that hurts too much. And that means we have to give things up. And then eighth, because we are fearful people. As I've already said, fear of the future can drive our materialism. And we know that fear is the opposite of faith and that fear is the biblical opposite of love as well. So our fears move us to try to take control of our lives. And in this world, those with the most toys win. It gives us the semblance of control. The culture of materialism proclaims the antidote to fear. Nothing to ever worry about when you have plenty of everything. Fear drives us away from God, actually away from fearing God. Instead of worshiping God, we engage in the worship of worldly wealth. Well, now let's finish up with some encouragement for all of us materialists, answering the question, how do we take practical steps to resist the culture of materialism? First, we need to turn up the volume on our praise and thankfulness. How many possessions do we find in the average American home? 300,000. So have you given thanks for all 300,000 of your earthly possessions? 
While that may sound sort of crazy, we are to give thanks for everything we have because it has all come from God. It is easy for us to give lip service of thanks to God for our things, but our heart and mind must be engaged. We must truly be thankful for it all. The truth is that we often feel self-satisfied as we accumulate possessions, and we forget to praise God for all that we enjoy. So turn up the praise volume. Give more and more thanks. Be humbled by how much the Lord has given you. Don't neglect verbalizing your gratefulness to God. Then a second way to push back on this materialistic culture, remind yourself that these things of yours aren't your treasures. When I was in graduate school many years ago, our small group did an interesting group exercise at Christmas. We drew names and had to exchange gifts, but this was no white elephant gift exchange. Instead, our group leader required us to give the other person our most treasured possession. Really, that was the assignment. Well, as a good materialist, I tried to figure out what was my not-so-treasured possession to give away. Maybe something that was my fourth or fifth treasured possession. Who would know the difference? One that would appear to be my most treasured possession to others. But my Holy Spirit conviction kicked in and probably my need to follow the rules. And so I actually did give away my most treasured possession, a double sheepskin rug that I had brought back from Australia a year earlier. I loved that earthly possession so much, and I gave it away with many tears. My hands had held it so tightly, but I let loose. I know some of you may think this was a cruel exercise to do with young people, but it did so much to start breaking my materialistic heart. And we did actually have group members who couldn't do it. They gave lesser gifts because it was way too hard to part with their most treasured possession. I get it. I felt their pain. Okay, well, there's one more part of the story that you have to know. When we all graduated and were about to part ways, the person who received my sheepskin rug gift gave it back to me as my graduation gift. I don't know if everyone got their treasured possession back, but I did. And I still have it today in a much worn out state. But do you get the point? Even though that was my greatest treasure, it shouldn't have been. As God's word says, our treasures should never be here on earth but only in heaven. We will all leave all of our material possessions behind when we die. And a third principle, open your eyes to opportunities to give. If materialists aren't givers, then it makes sense that givers aren't materialists. Well, actually, that's not totally true. Maybe better said, sacrificial givers are less materialistic. We do need to learn to be that widow who gave away her two mites rather than the wealthy who gave relatively little away. But to become givers, we must first see the need. I remember years ago, our family wanted to give away some turkeys to other people for Thanksgiving. But we had a hard time even asking around our friends and, and our church because we didn't know anyone who needed one. We lived among the wealthy. But the truth is that we weren't really looking closely enough because there are always needs around if you're willing to see. 
ask the Spirit to open your eyes and give you a cheerful, giving heart. And then fourth principle, get rid of stuff in the right way. It is so sad to watch those television shows about hoarders. They just can't part with things at all. All those things are all too important to them. So we can be satisfied that we're always getting rid of stuff. Countless garage sales, trips to Salvation Army, and of course the dumpster. But how often are we getting rid of stuff just to get more stuff? Do we ever downsize other than when we're forced to do it because of our financial situation? Now, I'm not exhorting all of us to become minimalists or to live in a monastery with no personal possessions. But we can all use times of giving away, getting rid of, and not just filling up that space. You know what every American home never has enough of? Storage. And we can't fit our cars in our garages either. It's just sad that what we long for is more storage space. How are we any better than the rich fool who just kept building more storage? And then finally, and above all, learn the secret of contentment. Materialists are never, ever content. They are always lusting for more. So materialism isn't really just about being rich. Materialism exists because of a heart of discontentment. We must pray for contentment. We must plead to God to teach us this secret, to put us in places to learn contentment. This may not be a prayer we want to pray or something we really want to pursue, but it is at the heart of the Christian life. Only contentment will put our possessions in our place. Only contentment will loosen our grips. Only contentment in Christ will enable us to fight our materialism and return to gratitude and joy for what God has given us. By God's grace, we can show the world that there are treasures in heaven that are much better to accumulate than these earthly things. I'll be talking to you soon in Season 10. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.